Hello and welcome to the weekly sermon by White Sulphur Baptist of Georgetown, Kentucky. We hope that you find this resource encouraging and helpful. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, but we would love to see you in person on Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Thanks again for tuning in. All right, good morning, White Sulphur. It is good to see you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 3 and 4 this morning. I'll give you a chance to get there. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate that. Bringing the lights up for you guys. Hey, just a second. You know, before we get started on the sermon, I just wanted to take a moment and uh, just say thank you to everybody here. So a lot of you know um, that on Friday, uh, we ended up having to take Piper to the hospital. And we didn't really know what was going on. She had been having uh, stomach problems for a week, kind of on and off. We thought, you know, maybe it was just around the holidays, like she's been eating too much junk food and uh, it would kind of fix itself. Well, it, it didn't. And then Friday, uh, it got to the point where she, she really couldn't even sit up on her own. Uh, she could lay on her side, but if she sat up, she would start crying and kind of curl over. And we're like, all right, this is, this is not good. This is not normal. Um, so took her to the hospital and we got to Georgetown. And I know, I've heard the stories. Um, but we, we, <laughs> we got her to Georgetown, and uh, they, they ran a whole bunch of tests. They took a bunch of scans. I don't know all the, all the details exactly. They looked at numbers, uh, drew blood, all of that stuff. And uh, they were like, we're really confident that it's one of these two things, that it's either uh, appendicitis or this other condition I can't remember the name of, but either way, she's going to need surgery tonight. And so it was just crazy because, you know, we think, we think we're taking her because she has a stomach ache. Right, and, and a little bug or something that she needs some help kicking. We get there, and they're telling us like she's going to need like emergency surgery that night. And they even they even say, you know, we'll take her by ambulance to UK so that we can get her there as fast as possible, and uh, we'll have a team, you know, waiting there. And, and we're like, no, 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 we'll drive her, we'll get her there, it'll be okay. Um, and so what I did is, as we were leaving Georgetown, I posted on Facebook and I said, hey, please just be praying for Piper right now, like. Pray. My request was that the doctors were wrong. They were mistaken, right? Not, not that they were, like, incompetent, but just that I, I want them to be wrong in this situation. This is my kid. I don't want her to have to have emergency surgery. Uh, so we get to the U.K., and we get in there. They do a bunch more tests. They take some more scans, and they look at more numbers. And when we get there, her numbers are completely different than they were uh, in Georgetown. Uh, her scans are not showing the same thing. They do some like physical exercises to try and determine what's going on, and uh, they, they just weren't the same. They weren't getting the same results, so they were in Georgetown. And uh, they said, you know, I, th- I think, uh, not to get into it, but uh, I think it's something else, right? A lot, a lot less uh, dangerous than we initially thought. And so they were able to like treat what was going on with medicine, right? So no surgery. They sent her home. She got to go to sleep. Um, and so I just, like, I'm getting emotional right now, but I just wanted to thank all of you guys for praying for it because that was, that was a crazy night, and you don't ever want to, like, take your kid to the hospital thinking it has, you know, a stomach bug, and you get there, and they're like, oh, we have to rush her into emergency surgery. So uh, your prayers were, like, really felt that night, and I think uh, very impactful, um, and I believe changed things uh, because the numbers just, it didn't make sense, right? Like, 20-minute difference, uh, two different hospitals getting such crazy different results in that situation. We got home like 2.30 in the morning, uh, got some sleep, and as you can tell from today, she's running around all over the place, so uh, she's doing, doing much better, and the medication is helping. Um, anyways, I just wanted to say thank you for, uh, like, I got dozens upon dozens of calls, messages, um, you know, checking on Piper, praying for us, literally over, I mean, somewhere between 100 and 200 comments on that Facebook post just saying, hey, like, we're praying, right? So it just meant a lot to us, like, to have the church show up in that way. So thank you. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get into our psalms this morning. Uh, 
Father, thank you so much for another morning that we get to, we get to gather as a church family. We, we get to be here. We have the privilege of being here, um, bringing the best that we can to you, whether it be um, our voices crying out in praise, our attention as we're uh, reading your words that you have left for us, that you have preserved for us. Um, we get this privilege of, of doing these things. I pray that we would do them wholeheartedly, that distractions would, would be gone, would leave the room, that you would center our hearts and minds on, on you and your word. We thank you um, that you are a God that is sovereign, that you're a God that's in control, that you're a God that has a plan, and not only that, but a good plan, that you are loving, Father, that you care for your children. Father, I pray for people in this room, the people listening, whether it be um, on Facebook or whatever, um, that that they would, they would come to know that is true, that you, you're a father that cares, you're a father that loves, you're a father that, that comes close and brings his children in close to him. Father, teach our, our wandering and nervous hearts to rest on you. When we don't understand what is happening around us, when our circumstances aren't what we would choose for ourselves, teach us to trust in you and in your plan and in your goodness. And Father, I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so like I said, we're going to be in Psalm 3 and 4 this week. Uh, Last week, I kind of gave the game plan going into 2024, what it's going to look like. Next week, we're starting... Uh, we're starting the book of Philippians, which is really exciting. We're calling it Contagious Joy. Uh, the, in the letter, there's, I think there's 12 or 16 references to joy or rejoicing, right? And what's amazing about that is Paul is writing from a prison cell. And, and his letter is just permeated by joy, by rejoicing, by these commands to, to put aside differences and rejoice as the church. And so we're going to dive into that. We're going to go verse by verse through that book next week. I also said that the first Sunday of each month when we take communion together, we're also going to be doing what we're going to call a Psalm Sunday. Okay? So on the first Sunday of each month, we're going to take a moment, we're going to take a little break from our regular series, and we're going to cover a psalm or two like we're doing this morning. And there's a couple of reasons for this. The, the psalms have been called the Holy Spirit's hymn book, right? They're this collection of writings and poetry uh, that have been put together by God, preserved by God for his church that we would sing. That we would know that there's something amazing, there's something special, there's a privilege that we have in singing to God and bringing him those, those offerings and those sacrifices that, like I said last week, he inhabits the praise of his people, that he's here with us when we're singing, when we're praising. And so we want to re- stop and remember often that that's something that we ought to be doing. In addition, the, the Psalms, they bring expression to all human experience. Right, so you can go through the book of Psalms, and I've done this. Some of, the, some of the worst times of my life, I've spent the most time in the Psalms. Right, because you start reading, and you see this crazy, brutal honesty between usually David or one of the other psalm writers and God. And you see that it touches on every experience. There's rejoicing, there's suffering, there's anger, there's trials, there's de- dealing with enemies and division. There, there's all these different things that are encompassed in the Psalms. And so as we go through them we see really the implication is that we're to sing our way through these things. Because David would sing not only when he was happy or rejoicing, right? But when he was in the pits of despair, he would raise his voice to the Lord. And so we're going to keep working our way uh, through these psalms together. Like I said, we're going to be in Psalm 3 and 4 this week. Psalm 3 and 4, they're often called the morning and the evening psalms. And we'll get to that in a second as to why... It would be called those. But if you were to picture your perfect morning 
What would that look like? You don't, don't shout it out, right? We're not in youth group anymore, but start thinking about what would your perfect morning look like? For some people, it would be snow falling, right? A hot cup of coffee, fire crackling, just relaxing in the morning with a good book. Maybe that's your perfect morning. I like that morning. I can get on board with that morning. Um, maybe it's, maybe you're more of like a spring person. You're like, I don't like the cold. I don't like the snow. Uh, and so, you know, spring morning, it's warm, windows open, birds chirping, right? Enjoying your breakfast. Maybe that's your kind of morning. Uh, maybe you're an early riser. And so you get up before the sun's up and you just really, really value that time where the world is still quiet and you just get to be there with God. Right? You get to, get to have those moments together. Maybe you like to sleep in. Maybe you're uh, just going to stay under that comforter for as long as you possibly can, stay as warm as you possibly can, and you're just going to wait for someone to bring you breakfast in bed. Maybe that's your morning. There's a lot of different uh, mornings that we could possibly imagine, but I don't think that anyone's had a morning quite like David did in Psalm 3. Now, when I think about uh, my perfect morning, to be honest, the longer that I've had kids, the, the less of them I can imagine. Uh, I decided to jot down a couple of the, the mornings that I've had, even, even more recently. These are things that I have actually woken up to having kids. So um, the first one is, uh, and this has happened on multiple occasions, and I'm sure if you've been a parent for any amount of time, you've also heard this, but you, you awaken to the sound of a little voice saying, I froze up. Right? And needing you to come help them. And it's never in the toilet. And it's never on a hard surface. It's always carpet or bed or something like that, right? I froze up, right? So I've woken up to that plenty of times. Um, I've woken up, this is a true story. I've woken up to a finger in my ear. And when I asked what they're doing, the little child next to me said, I thought you might be itchy. <laughs> so that's how I woke up that morning, right? Another one was um, I've been woken up again by a small child um, asking me as they're patting my face awake, right? Wait, I'm, I'm, my eyes are like blinking open. You know, like in movies, like the camera's behind the eyelids. It's like that. And uh, they say, hey, why do you make that sound when you're sleeping? <laughs> well, I don't, still, I don't even know what they're talking about. I don't know what sound they're talking about because I was sleeping. So there's all these different ways that I'm woken up by my kids in the morning. Most of them are humorous and most of them are just a minor inconvenience. But David doesn't get that kind of morning in Psalm 3. There's something else going on here in David's life. King David wakes to find that he's been betrayed by his son. He wakes up to find that um, his son is going to seek to kill him. This day, he's going to have to flee for his life. David's son Absalom has decided that his father's unfit to be king. He's decided uh, that he would make a much better king than his father. He's been working to kind of turn the tide of the kingdom against his dad. He's undermining the people's confidence in his dad. He has just completely betrayed him at this point. He's raised up an army. Absalom has raised up an army. He's decided that this is it. That I'm going to make my final push and I'm going to drive my father from the kingdom. That I'm going to have his life and I'm going to have everything that was his. I'm going to take it because I want it. I can do it better. Pride has swelled in the heart of Absalom at this moment. Just wonder if you've had someone close to you do something like that. All of a sudden it's a self-serving, self-seeking um, relationship, the person you thought was so close to you has turned on you. There's been betrayal, there's been pain, um, and they want to take something from you. As we go into Psalm 3, I want us to pay special attention to how David is processing this situation, how he's moving through this situation. 
So Psalm 3, starting verse 1. Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. So, your, uh, your bulletins may not be exactly right as far as my notes this morning, and that's on me, not the person that puts the bulletins together. But I think it's close enough where you'll still be able to follow, on, follow along. So point one is, David is honest with the Lord about his situation. He acknowledges his situation. We see this in verses one and two. You know, recently I was listening to another pastor's sermon on a podcast, and it was extremely challenging and really stretching me in some of the ways that I think. And what he said was this. He said that pastors will often unintentionally teach their people to be dishonest with the Lord in prayer. Because we want the best for you. I want the best for you. I love you. Like, I love this congregation. And so what we do is we, we love you, and so we want you to be more like Christ, right? I will, like, my job is to equip the saints for ministry. And so we push our people to be more like Christ, to put to death you know, their sin, to put to death old desires, to pursue the things of heaven, to pursue the Lord, to turn their eyes to Christ. And those are all good things, and we should be doing those. But what we can accidentally do is pressure people into being dishonest with the Lord. So he already knows your heart, right? He already knows your mind. He knows every thought you've ever had or will have. So there's no tricking him. And so what's unhelpful is to bring to him a dishonest prayer. So if we don't like our situation, but we pray to God, thank you so much for this situation, that's not helpful, right? So even if the intention is good, we need to be honest with the Lord. So what is a better approach is this, that whatever my heart is feeling in that moment, whatever emotions have, have captured me, right? Whatever I'm ensnared in, I bring that to God and I let him deal with it, right? If my, if my heart is impure, if pride has taken root, then I don't need to say, you know, thank you, God, for making me, you know, not prideful. I need to say, like, I am prideful right now, and I need you to do something about it because I can't. Or if I'm frustrated with him because of the situation that I find myself in, I don't need to pretend that I'm not. I need to bring it to him and say, like, my enemies are surrounding me right now, and I don't know why you're allowing it, and it's frustrating me. I need you to do something about this. So we need to be honest with the Lord. That's what David does in verses 1 and 2. He says, oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. He's honest. This is the situation I'm in. These are the fears that I'm dealing with. It's silly to pray things that we think God wants to hear as if we could trick him into being more pleased with us. Right? With this veneer that we put up in front of us. We see throughout the Psalms statements from David and from the other writers like, like, I hate this right now. I hate what I'm going through. I feel crushed to the ground. It feels like there's a disease in my bones. Those are the kind of statements that we hear from the writers. They're not holding back. They're not, they're not about flowering things up. 
They're being honest with the Lord. And so, yes, there's a time to quit complaining, right? The New Testament and the Psalms have a lot to say about grumbling. But there's also something to be said for honesty. Equally, there's a healthy beauty to just laying bare your soul before the Lord. Right? There's no one else in the universe that knows you as well and still chooses to love you. Right? All the ugly thoughts, all the ugly deeds that no one else knows about. He sees those. And he says, you're forgiven and I love you. My grace is enough. My mercy, I'm rich in mercy. I have storehouses of mercy that you cannot exhaust. So why would we try to play these games with the Lord? So then moving on. So verses 3 through 6. David knows that God is in control. God, he knows that God is in control. He trusts the Lord in this situation. So while David is he's being brutally honest with God about his situation, you know, what he wishes would change, he rests 100%. On the providence of God. Now this word is important. I've chosen to use this word um, very specifically. What is providence? Providence is really uh, two things paired together. It's God's sovereignty paired with his fatherly affection. It's his sovereignty paired with his fatherly affection for us. Sovereignty means that he's in control of everything. Nothing surprises the Lord. Nothing is outside of his power. That he has a plan and that he's bringing it to fruition on this earth. Right? Nothing can thwart the Lord. Like His plan will come to pass. That He is in control. Now, that alone is not necessarily comforting. Right? We need more than that to find comfort in God. Because He can be all sovereign and not good. Right? Sovereignty could be held by someone or something that is evil. And that would be a terrible situation to find ourselves in. But David knows that that's not the case. With the Lord, because he also has fatherly affection for us. He loves you. So he's working out a plan. He's in control of everything. And then where we find our comfort is that that meets his affections for us. And these two things come together. And then David has nothing to fear. Because the all-sovereign king and creator of the universe is in control. And he loves you. And he loves David. If we don't have both of these, it's not comforting. But when they come together, we have God's providence. And point number three is David makes his request known to God. So he's honest with God. He trusts God. And then because he knows God loves him, he makes a request. Right? He, he, he says something. He, he asks something of the Father. It says in verses uh, 7 and 8, Arise, O Lord, save me. Oh, my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to you, the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. So verse seven, he says, arise, O Lord. Right. Obviously, um, it's not like God is just sitting around. So uh, David's using poetry and imagery to convey his desires of the Lord. Right. He's like, right now, it feels like you're just sitting there. Why don't you do something? Get up. Like, they're trying to come kill me right now. They're knocking at my door. Absalom has an army waiting for me. I'm going to have to flee into the hills, hide in caves, hide in the wilderness with the few friends that I have left. Get up, God. Do something, God. Save me. So we get to make requests of the Father, of our Father. Right? Because he's good. Because he loves us. We look around at our situation and be honest about our situation. We can be honest about our sin and our dissatisfaction in something. And we take that to the Lord and like, I don't like this. So either make my heart more like you where I can accept this or change it, please. 
But you have to do something because I can't stay here. I can't stay in this moment. And so I'm going to ask you to take a moment and ask yourself, how does what you believe about God change the way that you talk to him? So we've seen that that David's interactions with God is really rooted in his theology of who God is. That he's sovereign and that he loves him, that he's for him. And that that impacts the way that he interacts with the Father, how he talks to the Father. Because if you believe he's quick to anger, you will be slow to bring your sins to him. Right? If you've if you've had the dad that blows up on you, right, when you mess up, if you've had the dad that explodes every time you do something wrong, like you're probably in danger of putting that on God. And so when you do something wrong, when you when you sin, when something goes awry in your life, you hide it, you squash it, you push it down, you don't talk about it, instead of dragging it out into the light and saying, Here it is, it's ugly, it's a mess, I need your help. What we believe about God affects how we talk to God and interact with him. If you, if you believe that he's distant, then you won't bother bringing your request to him. Like Maybe you didn't have a violent, explosive dad, but you had the dad that just didn't care one way or another. And so you never bothered talking to him. Not because you're afraid of him, but because he's just distant, right? It doesn't matter. He, he doesn't care what I'm dealing with. Like I'll figure it out on my own. If you don't believe he's sovereign then you'll doubt his ability to help you. If he's just good, that's nice. But if he's not also sovereign, I can complain all I want and he can wish that he could you know, help me change things, but he can't. Like what we believe about God is incredibly practical to how we interact with God and, and, and the, the, um, how robust our prayer life is. What is it that you believe that is hindering the way that you talk to your father? You have to believe, just like King David did, that that God's providence is really the pillow on which you can lay your soul, on which you find rest and comfort. I've I've faced some pretty crazy situations in my life. I've never faced what David's dealing with in Psalm 3. I've I've never had a, a family member rise up an army to try and put my head on a pike. That's the situation David's dealing with in this moment. And what's insane is that uh, there's a good case to be made. I don't have time to do it this morning. There's a good case to be made that, that this psalm was written kind of in the moment. Like as these things were unfolding, David's reaction was like, I got to go to my dad. I got to talk to dad about this. Like I got to start writing. I got to start singing because this is happening right now. And even if. Even if it wasn't written in the moment, David then later took the time to write it from that perspective of the prayers that he was making to the Lord. And he said, I'm going to record this for future generations and we're going to sing about how good the Lord is in our suffering and in our trials. So then we go to Psalm 4. Psalm 3 is how David started the day, right? That's a crazy day. Like we've, we've probably all had crazy days, but I just it'd be hard to compete with that. Psalm 4, verse 1. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. 
Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put your joy in my heart. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So he woke up saying, like, this is insane. But I trust that you're going to sustain me through this. He gets to the end of his day and he says, in peace. I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That line, verse 8, has a very high probability of being written in a cave by a king who just had to flee his palace because his son wants to kill him. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And by any outward account, was David dwelling in safety? Like there's an army hunting him in the woods because they want to take the kingdom from him. And yet he says, I'll dwell in safety. I'll sleep in peace because the Lord is sovereign and because he loves me. And so no matter what happens, it is part of God's plan. It is loving and David trusts in these Things. Do you hear the relief in David's words? In verse 4 of Psalm 4, we get the call to honesty before God again. It says, be angry and do not sin. All right, when those things well up inside of us that the Holy Spirit hasn't sanctified yet, he's saying again, like, I'll, I'll take that anger. I have it. Right? I'll just be honest about where I'm at. And I'm not going to sin. I'm going to take it to God. I'm going to let him deal with this. There's a lot of us that are facing enemies, right? And there's a million applications. There's always only one meaning, meaning to a text, but there's a million applications that you can make from it. And so maybe you have like very real, physical, like other person kind of enemies. Someone at work hates you and is trying to get you fired. A child or a parent has accused you of things that you didn't do. Um, maybe a spouse has a, abandoned you smeared your reputation to your friends and to your family. I mean, there's all kinds of messy situations, right, where, where enemies are around us. And though it doesn't look quite like David's situation, one of the beautiful things, the beautiful things about the Psalms is that we, can, we know the historical context of many of them, and yet they're still um, left just vague enough in God's grace to meet the application of every person for all time. That's incredible. The Holy Spirit is writing a book for us in this way. So like I said, if, you, if you're not facing enemies now, you might be thinking, like, everything's good right now. You probably could think back to a time when you had some enemies, right? Whether you wanted them or not. Maybe they just had a problem with you. Or maybe you did contribute to the situation in your sin. Whatever the case may be, maybe you can think back to a time. And if you can't think back to a time, and you can't think of anything right now, it's It's coming. Okay, there's there's going to be a time when you have enemies. And, and hopefully, um, it's centered around having to do with your faith, like, uh, like a persecution-type situation, right? That would be, I guess, if there was an ideal kind of enemy, it would be something like that. Jesus tells us even to expect that kind of situation. That it would be weird if we make it through life without something like that happening. So we prepare now, right? We, we read our Bibles now. We fortify our hearts and our minds through prayer and through the Word now. And when 
the enemies come, when they're knocking at the door, right? When the armies are standing at the door, we can say like David, in peace I both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I just, I, I keep reading that because I, I can't get my mind around saying that honestly right now. If that was my situation. So what are we to do then? We turn our eyes toward heaven, where our hope comes from. Focus our hearts on that hope of an eternal future where the enemies of God have both been struck down. Like David said, there's coming a day of, of lasting justice, right? Of lasting peace established um, by the Lord. And then we, we rest in the fact that we get to experience a beautiful morning, a good morning, our, our favorite kind of morning, right? We're all going to love it for the rest of eternity. There is no more darkness coming. It'll just be day. It'll be the light of the Lord surrounding us for all time. Worship team, if you want to come up here, we're going we're gonna to get ready to take communion at the end of this service. So if you don't have a cup, go ahead and grab one of those. If someone wouldn't mind running me one up here, because I did forget to bring one uh, this time, I would appreciate that. Uh, Thomas Watson said, thank you, sir. Thomas Watson in the 1600s wrote this. Eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. Eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. Have, have you stopped to consider your eternity? Like, have, you, have you quieted your soul enough for just a moment that you consider, you ponder the fact that this life is the beginning of your existence? That you're at the beginning of forever. Right? This just started. And this, this part that just started is incredibly important to how the rest of eternity goes. We're going to take communion now as a church. And this is, this is a time to consider like how Christ bought the privilege of an eternal joyous morning for us. And we're going to remember what was done for us. And we're going to remember that when we couldn't save ourselves, that he came for his people. And he died for them. And he made a way where there wasn't one before. So no longer will we, like David in the Psalms, wake up to mornings of suffering, betrayal, and pain. All tears will be wiped away. All scars will be healed. All division mended. How did Jesus do this? He did it by satisfying the wrath of God against sin in your place on the cross. So we're going to take communion together. There's just a couple of reminders before we do this. One is that you need to be a Christian before you take communion. Um, if, if you're not, that's okay in this moment. Like I would encourage you, observe, right? Learn a little bit, listen to what we're saying, uh, maybe even write down some good questions. I'll meet with you after and we'll talk about it, right? And I'll explain what, what this is all about. You can ask all the questions you want. Um, you can also take this time and the invitation time afterwards to become a Christian, if this is the time where you want to place your faith in Christ, if this is the time where you're, you're looking at this and you're saying, like, there is an eternity, and I've been feeling that weight and that pull in my soul for a while, and I, and I don't want to um, miss out on what David had. I want to be able to turn to a God that is sovereign and that loves me, right, and that will care for me for eternity, providing joy with him for eternity. I would encourage you to do that this morning, but if you haven't done, yet, done that yet, just, just observe as we take communion as Christians together. The other thing um, that is important 
is that we take it in a manner that's worthy of what we're doing. So if there's unconfessed sin, right, in your life you haven't dealt with in this moment, if there's a division between you and another brother or sister, just really strongly encourage you to take care of those things before you do this. Uh, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 11 that some people were sick and even died because they took communion in a, a manner that wasn't worthy of it. Um, and I take those words literally. I think there's, I think there's a greater, much greater connection between the spiritual world and our bodies than most people realize or are willing to accept. So with those things said, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take the bread together. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we take the cup together. Father, we stand before you humbled uh, by the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation that was put together in eternity. The very thing that we're uh, privileged to watch play out, looking back into the words of Scripture, anticipating your return, praising you for your sacrifice on the cross, anticipating our future in eternity with you in a beautiful morning of joy and light. It's no more enemies, no more sorrows, all because you're good and you are in control. Thank you for this wonderful truth that we can rest in this morning. Father, I pray for the souls in this room, for the ones questioning, for the ones seeking, you would continue to prepare their hearts and you would make them ready to receive your gospel. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.